Thanks for clicking play on the East Lake Tri-Cities Talks podcast. If you're new to this, we're trying to be the best church option for people in the Tri-Cities who aren't typically into church. We hope today's talk inspires you to take next steps in doing life in the way Jesus modeled and taught. If you're ever interested in being a part of one of our in-person gatherings, they take place every Sunday at the Uptown Theater in Richland. Check the website for current times. And regardless of what you look like, who you voted for, or where your tattoos are, we'd love to have you. But for now, here's our most recent talk. Well, good morning. Welcome to uh, Eastlake and welcome to Eastlake Online. For those of you watching online or on the app or on replay or whatever, so glad that you're here. I think uh, that video says more about you laughing at it than it does about the person filming it. You're really bad people. Um, so you need Jesus and uh, that's good. That's what we're here for. So uh, <laughs> hey, um, welcome to uh, our Advent series. We do this every year. Uh, maybe you grew up in a more traditional church and uh, maybe uh, like a main, a lot of mainline traditional churches do like a liturgical calendar. And so Advent's nothing new. Advent's just, you do Advent, then you do Epiphany, then you do uh, Christmas and, and, or Christmas, then, and then Epiphany, and then uh, Pentecost and Lent and Easter and all that kind of stuff. We, we don't typically adhere to a calendar. We just kind of do our own thing and talk about randomly. But um, ever since uh, we started the church, we've done Advent together. Um, it's a series on anticipation. It's a series on waiting, watching and waiting is the key tagline for this. It's the series, it's a, it's a pre-Christmas sort of celebration. Um, and it teaches us uh, something about Christmas that I think we don't get from just normal living and culture um, because Christmas is all around us right now. Like as soon as Thanksgiving is over and even really before Thanksgiving is over, we are inundated with Christmas songs and trees and buy this and do this and whatever uh, the case may be. Um, and, and one of those things that is even for sale or for purchase or an invitation into is a little bit of a crossover and a thing called advent calendars. And if you grew up like me, you had ones that had like little hidden chocolates behind it. And then you, every day you'd wake up and then, you know, open up the door and see what kind of crappy chocolate you'd hope they'd get better every day. And they're just the same uh, crappy chocolate every day. <clears throat> um, since I've been a kid, there's been some massive upgrades to advent calendars. So I got one the other day that was uh, like two, two or three years ago, like beers from around the world, like amazing. It was really, really cool. Um, and dif different, um, you, you've seen them now, little, little windows that you're like, that's an advent calendar that I could do. So I found some, some recent ones that are, are pretty decent. If you're looking for some last minute gift ideas uh, for you or for somebody you know, that you know or like, uh, these would be some great ideas. So uh, here, here's the first one. Uh, it looks like this, it's a cheese advent calendar. So every door is like a little, little piece of cheese. Um, and so, uh, you know, that's, you gotta keep that one in the fridge though. So that's, that's a tough, tough thing to do. Uh, another one would be, this is a mince meat uh, pie different. Uh, these are all, by the way, available on Amazon. On. So you can go buy these. Um, and I believe that is also a refrigerated one, but I don't know that for sure. So you'll want to check the label on that one. Uh, the following one is, uh, this is the 25 days of socks, which that's brilliant, right? I mean, like a different sock for every window. So that's great. I could do that. I get behind that. Uh, and then also we have the uh, 25 days of beard treats, uh, which I don't know what beard treats are, but that sounds intriguing and I'm in. And I've been working on my beard since No Shave November, so it's uh, it's it should be great. Uh, there's also uh, this is 25 days of plants. Every day you open up a window, and here's something that you can't keep alive. 
Um, so that's pretty fun. Uh, and then finally, the last one is a wrench set. Here's a 25 piece wrench set, uh, one for every day, um, which is basically just a 25 piece wrench set. I have no idea, but, uh, so you have some options, everybody, but the countdown is the important thing, right? That's like the thing that the only thing that we perhaps know about Advent is perhaps that it is some sort of a countdown and countdowns are important. Um, because uh, we are anticipating, we're waiting the arrivals, we're watching and waiting. And in the countdown of something, what happens is, especially imagine being in a crowd of people uh, and all of a sudden half of the crowd or majority of the crowd directs their attention towards a certain direction and begins to count down from 10. Like, what would it take within you to not look at what they're looking at or to be a part of this and, or to be like, what's going on? What's happening with this, right? I mean, that's just a natural tendency. And so uh, the church as a whole has recognized this is a season to count down towards Christmas, to direct our attention to something, to shift the focus, to publicly start counting down uh, 24, 23, 22, 20, all the way down until Christmas day, hoping that other people will be like, what are, what are they looking at? What's going on with the attention? And capturing their attention to the incarnation of Christ, the the uh, advent of God returning and, and doing something on this earth and the arrival uh, of Christmas and, uh, uh, and and the person of Jesus. And so it's, it's an interesting thing. And it's always pre-Christmas um, for the church. It's always been something that leads up to Christmas. Um, uh, a lot of times in traditional churches, decorations, Christmas decorations don't show up until Christmas day. You would go home, you do a Christmas Eve service, you go home and, the, and at that night, the poinsettias would come out, the decorations would go up. Right now, like my wife doesn't let me do that. We wait until Christmas or Thanksgiving day uh, and then we start decorating, but that's as long as we're willing to wait. But a lot of times Christmas wouldn't start until Christmas day. You would not sing joy to the world until Christmas morning. That's a Christmas morning song. Right now, it's on the radio November 28th, 25th, whatever the, you know, the day after Christmas is, we hear all of these songs, but that's a different sort of thing than the church was always willing to do, sort of kind of waiting and waiting, uh, letting this kind of sit and simmer and be a moment of anticipating uh, and looking forward to something. Um, all attention and all focus is on the God who came, the God who showed up, the God who is with us. There's even a term, a name for God that the church uh, that we show that we see in scripture actually uh, of uh, this idea of God Emmanuel, a God who is with us. Um, and so one of the famous Christmas carols, or really uh, more appropriately, an Advent carol or an Advent song, is the song O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, which you've probably heard in the car on your way here. And it stands out quite a bit, uh, contrasts with a lot of like the Mariah Carey stuff and all the other things that are out there that are all super positive and about, you know don't miss this Christmas and I you know, can't wait to kiss you under the mistletoe and blah, blah, blah. And then you get O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Listen to the words of this if you haven't seen them recently. I'll start with the verse that we all know, right? Which is the first verse, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here, mourning, lonely, exile. These are all like a certain form of words or a certain form of waiting or a certain state of being that's, longing and waiting, anticipating that mourns in lowly exile here until the son of God appear, rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. That's the verse again that we all know. Here's the verse that we all hum, which is basically means we, we don't know it, but we just, we get there. We, we, it's part of it, but O come thou day spring from on high and cheer us by thy drawing nigh. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows 
put to flight. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Somber, melancholic, but with the transition to hopeful and you know incredible hope at the end, although it does feel a little bit like it's forced hope, doesn't it? When you read that, when you're like, have you ever, it feels like the uh, the song is drawing us to rejoice in spite of kind of where we're at, even though we don't feel like it. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. So that is what I want to draw attention to. I want to say we're going to enter into as a community a time of Advent, and uh, in Advent, in everything else that you hear outside of the walls of the church is typically going to be. Christmas and deals. And don't forget, we're extending Black Friday shopping for you and you can do this and everybody wants gifts. And imagine the smile on their face when they open that gift that you thought of and paid for on payments, but you're going to get there. And all of these things uh, draw us to, and we buy our red cup and enjoy the joy of the team, right? Like Starbucks tells us to feel the merry when we buy our red cups. Um, And yet uh, Advent uh, has been a time for at least the church of pausing, of longing, of feelings of loneliness and feelings of exile and feelings of a little bit brokenness. There are There's a, a triune nature to Advent. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago or like a couple months ago when we did our series on time, we said the time of your life is uh, a lot of times uh, it's to our benefit to start asking the question, when are we? What season am I in? Uh, where am I at actually? Um, whether it's uh, has to do with like physical stuff of, of just, you know, I have four kids and they're all in grade school right now. That's a tough season. Um, or I'm an empty nester or I, I'm employed or I'm not employed or I'm single or I'm married uh, or I'm married and wish I was single or I'm single and wish I was married. Like what season is this in? Uh, that will be a big starting point for determining this kind of thing. And when it comes to Advent, when are we when it comes to Advent? That there is a triune nature that we have our... Our, our feet in kind of different areas and, and, and arenas. In, in one sense, um, when we talk through Advent and the verses that we look at and the, the, the way that we speak of it, it's backward looking. It, it, it looks back on historically, when we say in, when, on Christmas Eve, when you show up with your family uh, at three or five o'clock and you're here and I say, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world, right? We're looking back as a church pointing to a time historically where we would say, we think that this happened in history, that God showed up, that the God who created the universe made himself known through a person and that person showed up in the form of a child, like the pathway that he took, right? So it's backward looking, focusing on the incarnation. It's also forward looking. It's interesting. Um, When you look at like church history during the medieval period, um, Advent was more about the future return of the king, that God is not finished with his creation yet, that he's not just standing back idly by and and, and letting it go and and eventually the sun's gonna burn us all up and it's gonna be gone. Uh, But the idea of taking Jesus seriously when he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'm coming back for you at some point, that that there is a future advent, that we we know that there was an advent where God made himself known incarnation, but then also something is happening, something is coming. Um, And then what happened is a lot of churches kind of took that and like built more of the attention on that. And then it got weird. Like you probably grew up, maybe grew up in a church where like that was a big deal where somebody in front of me goes, God's coming back maybe tonight. Where you at? Let's pray. You know, that kind of thing. Um, And you're like, ah, 
or people will begin to write books about like predicting the, the return of Christ and, uh, and uh, they would all be always wrong and, and, and be like, it's next year. I got, I carried the one wrong. So sorry. Buy my next book. It's June 12th, 2000, you know, whatever. Uh, and they just kept moving the goalposts. And eventually we got kind of hesitant about this. And so there's been, there's typically less of a focus on a second advent, although it's a major part of of this thing is we live both in recognizing what has happened and we believe at some point something changes and something happens again. So there's a second part of this. And it's not hard for us to understand it. It's, it doesn't have to be a weird thing because we also read through the news every once in a while. We'll see what's going on in Ukraine and Russia and the world and, and all these other places that we don't live and outside of our community. And we think to ourselves, man, it is, the world is kind of broken. Like, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. We wouldn't say those words, but like, we do feel like, um, like this world needs a change that we, we need something that's bigger than beyond ourselves. It's not nothing that I can do in this moment. I want to be a good person this way, but there's, there's a brokenness to this world that, that needs uh, hope. And it feels like a very hopeless situation. Um, and so we would say in, in no uncertain words or maybe no terms like this, but we would say, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, God, be with us. Don't forget about us. Like, come come again in this situation. Or when the pain hits closer to home, right? A future orientation doesn't have to be bad news from outside. It could be bad news in your world. Um, it could be a relationship that's that's deteriorating, that's that's worse off than you thought. You just had a conversation and and you're going, this might be a very lonely holiday for me or whatever. And so in that situation, when, when, when somebody that you love falls back into addiction or um, like they're not coming home for Christmas and it's not because the flight schedule doesn't work out because they don't, don't want to. And you're like, that hurts. There's a pain that's involved in that sort of thing. And so in a way, we look at those sometimes in, in our prayers, we would say, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, God, show up once again in this situation. This feels hopeless. I'm banking on somehow you interacting into this and say, saving this. So there's a there's a, a, a past looking at this. There's a future orientation, and then also uh, I mentioned a triune thing, just living in the present. That it means something into the here and now. It calls us into a way of things. The advent of Christ, the the arrival of Christ gives us a model, an invitation to walk in the way of who he was and what he's calling us to. That because he exists, it means we have to live differently. It means that we have to think through things differently. It means that the path of self-sacrifice as he modeled for himself on the cross is an invitation to us to die to ourselves and to die to live in, in, in Christ. And, and so there's, there's all kinds of different aspects of it that is, that is a part of this thing. And it speaks to the holistic nature of the church, which led Karl Barth, a theologian, uh, to once say, what other time or season uh, can or will the church ever have but that of Advent? That when we celebrate this, we're really recognizing on a large level, we do this all the time. That we do this in the moment and we go, he came, he's going to come. And because he came, it means something different for me right now. But this is really true of us as a whole. Like we exist, the church exists on this way. We, we, we do things, we gather together because he came, because he invited us into this, uh, because there's a future part of this uh, that, that is, is going to us and it means something right now. And so with that sort of triune nature of Advent, it does strike us as different when we go back out into our cars and we go to the mall and we go to the store or we see or we watch TV and everything's just 
massively not melancholy, the opposite of that. Everything's super positive. In all the Hallmark Christmas movies, they always, it's, you know, it's the New York executive who meets the small town, you know, guy, and it's like, it never works out, and, it, and then it does, and it's amazing, and it feels so good. It's always so feel-goody, right? I mean, it hardly ever is a negative. There's one, there's never one that she's like, I'm out, I'm leaving, I'm going back to New York. That would be like the lamest Christmas movie ever. People would write letters, so many letters to Hallmark. Do you understand how that would work? That would be so terrible. It's always positive in this way. And yet for a few moments, we are invited to go, yeah, but what about when it doesn't and when life is dark and when we find ourselves longing and waiting, anticipating and begging for a little glimmer of hope, a small star that's gonna guide us into some sort of liberation out of the exile of our loneliness and into something bigger and better beyond this. Um, something a friend of mine has done uh, in the last few years uh, is uh, on a on a midweek sort of thing, done a thing called an empty chair service, uh, where uh, it's it's part it's kind of like this, where um, he would say uh, we're going to do a service and we're going to have in, in I want you to sit with your family, and then I want there to be intentionally an empty chair next to you to represent the family members who are no longer with you to be able to celebrate this because it can be also the loneliest time of the year because of this. And perhaps you're going through this is the first time, you know, when people lose people, they go, this is the first birthday. This is the first whatever. This is the first, you know, Thanksgiving Day Parade that I can get to watch it with my mom or whatever. And at Christmas, it's like, especially the dagger hurts. It's like a twisting, right? It's like, this is the first Christmas without dad, right? That's a painful, painful experience. And so in these empty chair services, we're, we're going, listen, uh, it's not all roses, that there is a, a darkness to this that must be, that needs to be recognized, that needs to be felt, that needs to be moved on and, and, and realized. Um, and I, we're not going to do an empty chair service, but I think, because I think that this whole thing should be that. Um, so, um, uh, what, what is it? What's in that missing chair? And it doesn't have to be a person. It can also be a loss of something, a loss of, 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 of a dream. I always thought I would be this and I'm just not. And I'm realizing my station of life, I've got kids now and a job and I've got responsibilities. I can't do the things. I always thought I would turn out this way and it just didn't work out that way. And, and Christmas time is a excellent, especially Advent time to focus on that and be like, what is it then? Where is our hope? Life is not always great. And it's not what Mariah Carey is trying to tell me and all of our culture is trying to tell me. Advent reminds us that we know that, we get that. It might be said of Advent that it is not for the faint of heart. To grasp the depth of the human predicament, one has to be willing to enter into, a, into the very worst, into a weary world that rejoices, a weary world rejoicing. Even the time of year, the church selected winter solstice to be the time of year that we would go through Advent. I don't think that Jesus was actually born on the 25th of December, but what the church did was said, what's the darkest time of year? When is it getting super dark? And when is that transition to where then all of a sudden it starts to be getting lighter? Let's use that time of year to illustrate the darkness of the world, the darkness of our situation and the light that Christ can bring. And, and, and it's, it's getting it's like in that spot, we're almost like a couple of weeks away from it starting to get lighter uh, a little bit earlier. And, and right now, I don't know about you, but man, there have been nights where we I get to the house and we are, I'm like looking at my wife, I'm like, we are, I'm t- exhausted. You, are you tired? She's like, I'm exhausted. What time is it? I'll look over and be like, 7.15, what in the world is happening to us? Like, how old are we getting? But like, 
This is, that, that's a thing. She's like, I gotta go to bed. I'm like, I can't. This is I, I just principle. I cannot go to bed at 7.15. That does not register on my, on my thing. So we do whatever it is, but we, we recognize that it's, it's getting lighter. And that's supposed to be the message that is coming on uh, in, and illustrated through Advent as well. And there's a guy named W.H. Uh, Auden, who was a poet, uh, an English poet uh, in the UK who wrote lots of different poetry. And one of them that he's famous for is an Advent poem called For the Time Being. Um, and, uh, it kind of illustrates and talks through some of this. It's, it's melancholy in that way and, and, and forward looking. And, and, um, one of the, uh, uh, uh this line, I, I pulled a, a snippet out of not that one, but one that he wrote in, uh, in September of 1939. So at the advent of World War II, um, the, the world, the rest of the world is just catching on to what people closest to the situation already know that the world is dark and it's getting darker and there's something that's coming that's that's really, really bad. And so he writes this like almost dire, this poem of uh, that he illustrates this, that I think represents the Advent season very, very well. Here's what it says. Faces along the bar cling to their average day. The lights must never go out. The music must always play. All the conventions conspire, conspire to make this fort assume the furniture of home lest we should see where we are, lost in a haunted wood, children afraid of the night who have never been happy or good. In a way, when we go out and in Christmas time, when we refuse to deal with the darkness that is the Advent invites us into seeing, instead we're like, turn up the music. Let Mariah Carey let me know that all I want for Christmas is you. I want the positive Christmas music. I want the Hallmark. We're almost like trying to deafen ourselves or to overplay something so that we don't have to deal with the brokenness and the loneliness, right? We're, we're, oh, the music must always play. The lights must never go out. Let's get the Christmas lights up. Let's keep them on late. Let's, let's, let's deaden ourselves um, to the pain that's involved in this. Or the consequences, if we don't do that, we should see where we are. We're lost in a haunted wood, children afraid of the night who have never been happy or good. The Advent season encourages us to resist denial, to face our situation as it really is, watching and waiting, watching and waiting year after year. The invitation to us, to you, to me, for the next couple of weeks is to find ourselves as a people who are watching and waiting, hoping that God once again lives into or comes into the world as God, Emmanuel, God with us with us in our mess, with us in our brokenness, with us in our pain, with us in our suffering. There's a Latin term called deus abscondus that I've talked about before. It's a term that shows up constantly in Advent literature. The apparent absence of God. And you may have never seen this word, but you've probably felt it a time or two. Where is he in this? The God who seemingly hides from us. The God who I can't understand if he exists, why would this happen? Why is he not making himself known in this? And so we watch and we wait and we wonder and we wander around in our brokenness year after year, hoping for something more. Um, for the next three weeks, I want to look at Luke's version of the, the nativity story and the birth and the, the preparation, uh, the birth narrative of Jesus, all right? So something you need that you probably know too, but... Um, 
There's four, four gospels that give us the life and the teaching of, of Jesus. Everything that we know about Jesus comes from Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John in terms of where he went and what he was like and wh- what he said, right? So the, they make up the first four books in the New Testament. Um, everything that you know about Christmas and nativity scene and all of the stuff come from only two of those four. Uh, Mark and John have nothing about the birth of Jesus. They start differently. Mark starts when he's an adult and he's already in the desert getting tempted and it's done, right? John has other things to say, as Travis mentioned last week's message about the Logos, the Greek form of God, you know, being, coming, making himself known. But then it jumps right into, um, you know, John the Baptist and other, other things. It has nothing to do with birth. So, Everything about shepherds and, and stars and wise men and you know, uh, no room in the inn, all of that is either Matthew or Luke. They two, take two different approaches. Uh, Matthew tends to focus on the Jewish heritage of Jesus. It focuses on Jesus as, jo- as uh, Joseph's son. Uh, so from a, the, the male perspective, the angel appears to Joseph. Uh, in that one, uh, it starts off with the genealogy uh, linking uh, David's lineage to Joseph and therefore Jesus to, to David. So like it matches all of that kind of thing. Um, there are wise men who come from this. It's very regal. It's very uh, Jesus for the important, right? Jesus um, uh, reaching out. And then in Luke's version, it's shepherds. So we go from rich rulers who are foreign, who know nothing, to then shepherds who are like, you know, basically almost like the unemployed of the community, uh, the poor, the broken, the destitute, the people who, you know, you wouldn't invite them to dinner at your house. Um, and then in Luke's version of the story, it's Mary who's approached by an angel. Uh, it's Mary who sings her song afterwards. And uh, it's, it's very, a, a more accessible sort of um, Jesus in that way. So, um, and we, as, you know, um, uh, modern day Christians commingle this day. When you bought a nativity set, you didn't buy Luke's nativity, which only features the wise men, or only features the shepherds. You bought a nativity set that just kind of like combines the two stories, right? And that's fine. That's typically what we do. But um, in Luke's, we're going to spend uh, the next three weeks looking at Luke's story about it and uh, figure out what is he trying to say? What's his purpose? What's his bias? What's his thing behind this? And what is he? why does he feel the need to include something about the birth of Jesus when Mark said, I just don't think it's important. And Luke's like, I think there's something there. I think there's something about Jesus's birth that is relevant for people who are trying to make sense of who he was and what he's inviting us into. And so he starts off in in chapter one with like a very just brief introduction. I didn't even include it in the text because it's just basically him saying to write into a letter to somebody named Theophilus saying, um, I wanted to take down an orderly account. You've heard a lot of different stories. Let me get you the narrative as best as I know how. I've done some interviews with some people. Um, He's a doctor by trade, so he's got an education. He knows how to write. That's a big deal. Um, And uh, here's my perspective on everything that I know about the person of Jesus. We'll jump into verse five. It's gonna be on the screens. Everything that's on the screens is on eastlaketricities.com slash notes, or if you have the app, there's a notes page in there. You can do that too, because I'm gonna breeze through this a little bit fast. Uh, In the time of Herod, uh, the the subsection on the title of this is the birth of John the Baptist foretold. So this is even about the birth of Jesus right at this point. We're we're gonna step one further back. He's got a cousin named John who is gonna be known as John the Baptist only because um, he would go off and be known as somebody who baptizes people. You maybe have friends who go to different churches, different denominations, and you've got, you have a friend named Kyle. He goes to the Baptist church, but you've never called him Kyle the Baptist before. That's not what this is. This is different. This is like, this is what John was known for. And so this is why they say John the Baptist uh, foretold. All right. In the time of Herod, uh, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. So real first and foremost, Zechariah, the name meant Yahweh has remembered again. So 
setting the stage for this, you've got the Old Testament has ended 400 years prior to this. There's what's called an intertestamental period of about 400 years between the activities of the Old Testament, them coming, them, them you know, going out of exile from, uh, from Egypt and into the promised land and then being taken out of that and into Babylonian exile, coming back uh, and then trying to kind of rebuild things. And then all of a sudden there's just nothingness. And for 400 years, nothingness. Imagine that. I mean, like, you go for a couple of months without hearing the voice of God or feeling some sort of connection with God. And you're like, I don't even know if he exists anymore. Imagine for 400 years, for generations, nothing. There's just a quietness. And yet they're still naming their children, God will remember us again. That's a big deal. Like this was a big thing for these people. This idea of wanting to still have some sort of a connection with the God uh, of Israel. All right. Uh, he belonged to a priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them came from a lineage of priestly. There, there was a certain, you had to have a certain pedigree uh, and they matched that and they both did, which is like, they're, they're, this is, a, uh, this is he, Luke's trying to make a statement. These are qualified people. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God. Not only did they have uh, a, a personal pedigree, but they were righteous people, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. They were doing all of the things right. Big but in verse seven, uh, they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both uh, very old. This would have been a tough thing for them because in that era, you know, being uh, having children was a sign of a blessing. The more children you had, uh, the more blessed you were. And when you didn't, um, there was something wrong. Something was happening. Um, there wasn't, it wasn't a medical thing. It was like a God's chosen to not bless you. I don't know why. I don't know what kind of secret sin you're hiding, but um, it would have been shameful for them to be this old and this far along in life and to not have kids. And it wasn't just that, oh, I wished we'd always had kids and it's gonna be weird to grow up without kids. It was a, um, they saw this as kind of a blessing thing. So once when Zachariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as a priest before God. He was chosen by lot. Real quick, you were only a priest. You didn't like um, educate yourself into this. You were either born into this or not born into it. Uh, and then there would be about, at this point, 18,000 people from the lineage of, of, of Levi. And they would take shifts every year on who got to come and serve. And then they would do a lottery within that to be able to go into the Holy of Holies. And it would be a once in a life, literally a once in a lifetime thing. Once you went in, you never went back in. Uh, and once you were selected, that was a big deal. And um, you never knew when it was gonna happen. And you could go your entire life as a, as a uh, person, as, as a Levite priest and never ever go in. So he's selected though. So we all, we all know that the, this is setting up for some sort of like a movie narrative, like a story. Like as, as Luke is telling this story, he's setting the stage for like, and then, you know, it feels like a little bit once upon a time, there was a guy who, you know, and then he got selected and he won. And you're like, that never happened. You've, again, you've watched the Hallmark movies and you're like, that's just not reality. New York executives who are single don't come home and find guys who are like home, you know, carpenters at home and get married. They, that doesn't work, right? You're like, I'm, I am a carpenter. I just know it doesn't work. Anyways, um, I get it. So he's setting the stage and saying this. When Zach, uh, sorry, uh, he was chosen by law according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of the incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zachariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. A common response, anytime there's an epiphany of an angel to a human uh, that we show up in scripture, it's always one of fear and like, oh my gosh, what is happening, right? We oftentimes think of angels in like loincloths and diapers and, and wings and a 
bow or whatever, but their response is like, when we show up, the first thing we have to say to people is fear not, because what are they doing? They are freaked out of their minds and they're the ones that should be wearing the diaper. That's how this sort of works. Um, so then his first words, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. And we're not exactly privy to what prayer he prayed. Luke doesn't tell us um, whether this was, he had this one opportunity to go into the Holy of Holies. And maybe for his his prayer was, God, grant me a child. I really don't wanna die uh, without my without a heritage. I don't, I, you know, I feel bad. My wife, it, it, we just can't have kids and it's a big struggle. And that's oftentimes a prayer for a barren couple, right? But there is a good chance that this, that wasn't even the prayer that he'd prayed. If he had taken his priestly role seriously, his prayer would have been, go and make supplication towards the Lord asking for God to one day redeem Israel, to once again make it into a mighty nation, to make it into the nation that is talked about in Isaiah, one that is set on a mountain that people from all kinds of nations flock to to gain wisdom, to see to, that they are so blessed and they are a blessing to the world that people want to know what they're about. So it would be most likely a prayer of, God, do not forget Israel. Don't forget us. Make us into what you've promised us to be. Uh, verse 13 uh, continues, your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. You are called, uh, you are to call him John, which makes us think that, you know, well, maybe he was, his prayer was about kid, but this could be his way of saying, I'm about to do, I am about to not forget Israel. I'm about to do something back in this world again, and your son is gonna play a part of it. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, but he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. This is a common kind of theme. This would be a, what's called a Nazarite vow. This would be something that we like, this is above and beyond what we're asking most people to do. Like there's gonna be some certain discipline things. He's gonna be special. He's gonna be designated as special. We know John the Baptist goes off and becomes that. In fact, he becomes quite a, like a caricature of an Old Testament prophet. People say the crazy old John the Baptist out in the wilderness dressed up in animal skins and eating locusts. He's just a weirdo. Like we don't even know where he's at. Like he, he's gonna be people that people can't ignore, right? Uh, you know, we will not be ignored. That's kind of his kind of philosophy in life. He will bring, bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord, their God. His role is gonna be gather the attention of a bunch of people in terms of a countdown. And then all of a sudden, at, like at, at a Baptist, at Jesus' baptism or at, 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 a, at a first opportunity where he runs into and be able to see Jesus in person, he's gonna say, behold, there is the lamb of God whose shoes I am unworthy of even tying, whose sandals I'm unfit to, to hold on to. I mean, his goal is gather as much attention as I can and then redirect it as, as quickly as I can to Jesus in this way. He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to children of unbelievers to the wisdom of the righteous. Jewish, Jewish uh, theology had this idea of a Messiah is gonna come, but before he does, the prophet Elijah is gonna show up and he's gonna be some sort of a reincarnated or whatever, or an example, an in Elijah is gonna be there to point the way towards this. And that's why Luke is trying to tie this as he's crafting his story about the birth of Jesus. He's including this to say, I'm tying into this messianic idea and I'm trying to you know, facilitate this as John the Baptist thing. And then this is how he finishes. And this is the best part. This is really, really good. And I've read this a ton of times and, and uh, there's something here that is just stands out big time. He will get ready for the Lord, a prepared people. He will get ready for the Lord, a prepared people. John will get ready for the Lord. Here's my prediction or my, my you know, thing about, about who he was and what it means to celebrate this. He will get ready for the Lord, a prepared people. 
their strategy in the past has been, let us be a people who prepare the way for the Lord. Their Old Testament prophecies in Malachi chapter three, verse one, there's this prophecy. Malachi is a prophet who comes and he says, I will, he's speaking at the voice of God. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Isaiah 43, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. The message over and over and over again has been to a group of people, we must prepare for the arrival of the king. And for them, what they interpreted that as is we must do what we can to facilitate the advent of the Messiah or the advent of God. We want God to interact once again in our world and in our thing. We've got to do what our part to make sure he feels like it's, it's welcome and it's ready to go. As if God is waiting on us to be good enough to show up. That's essentially what it was. One of the criticisms or critiques of the Pharisaic system of doing things is that they would be so tied into ritualistic purity or ritualistic cleansing. They would live in such a way that like, you know, and Jesus approaches them and says, you washed outside of the cup, the inside's all dirty. Like you're, you're just messed up. And, yet, and, you, and you load onto other people a burden that you're not willing to even carry upon yourself. You're expecting of other people, you're blaming God's inactivity in the world with other people's inability to remain morally pure. Imagine if I was to say, God wants to come back into this world, but y'all are kind of messed up. Y'all need to fix yourselves up so that God can do it. Or you come to me with a prayer request and be like, you've got to clean yourself up first. God's not ready for you. God, you know, you're not, you're not, uh, God's waiting for you to move. And then if you're, if you do enough, if you participate in the show and dance enough, then he'll be ready. Then he'll, then the advent will come upon you. Then, then he'll arrive, which is basically us just getting things right. And then God has to respond or responds in this way, which is different. Luke, Luke says, that's not what it is. I'm gonna take that. I'm gonna take that idea. I'm gonna shift it a little bit. What's the role of John? John's gonna come. He will get ready for the Lord, a prepared people, a people ready for what God is doing in the world, a people who are watching and waiting. That God's advent is gonna come anyways. He doesn't come because we've been good enough. He's coming. He's saying, but I'm gonna send a messenger to come who's gonna point the way to Jesus, who's gonna prepare, a, get ready a prepared people. That I want a remnant of people who are prepared for what I'm about to do in this world, who are clean to the hope that you've said you would come back, who are living in a way that is able to see that, waiting and watching, waiting and watching, God's not gonna come into a situation because we're good enough or because we did enough. He's doing what he's going to do. Are we in a spot to be able to see it, to move towards it, to be have one foot in the past saying he's done it, he's promised to continue to do it, but in the moment I live in the invitation of Christ to die to myself, to live in Christ, and to work towards his peace in this world through the example and model and invitation of his son, Jesus Christ. So Advent then is a season where we go, things are dark, things are not great, things are broken. I'm hopeful that God has not forgiven or has not given up on his people. I'm hopeful that God has not given up on this situation. I'm hopeful that I can live in this brokenness and cling to the promise of God, Emmanuel, that God, you've said you will be with us in our suffering. 
And we can look forward to and count down the day and point towards the day where you show up on Christmas and we can say, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let the earth receive her king. Let heaven and earth rejoice. That's the message of Christmas, but we only get there when we find ourselves in the role of watching and waiting, watching and waiting, being and getting ready for the Lord and prepared people. I want us to be a prepared people. How do we do that? Advent's a great start. One where we don't deny the darkness of the world, that we kind of say, yeah, it is, it's broken. There's an empty chair. There's an empty chair next to me of loss, of pain, of suffering, of things that I wanted and didn't turn out to be that way. And I'm gonna refuse to like turn up the music or keep the lights on to deaden myself to that, to deny its existence, to not realize that I'm a lost child out in the woods in a haunted wood, that that's, that's really what I am and I'm broken and in need of a savior and need of joy that only joy can bring. And the promise is that even in the darkest of our darkest situations, there can become a transition, an advent of a new light, a light that grows increasingly that offers hope to the world and hope to me and hope to you in whatever situation you and I find ourselves in. So advent, that's why we do it. We are people who are watching and waiting for God to once again be God with us. Let's pray. Father, our prayer is uh, that you would help us in uh, as we kind of evaluate what season we're in and what the what um, Advent, what what is it that we're longing for? What is it that we're anticipating? What kind of brokenness or or missing peace or longing do we have? Uh, may we trust in a God who cares enough to not abandon us in this, but His promise to show up, not because not you know, not because if we do anything to earn it, and not on our own timeline because of our ability to be moral people or whatever, <clears throat> but because you're a promise, you're a God who who made a promise. Uh, to never forsake, never to abandon, that you were always with us. So we cling to that hope and cling to that prayer. May that be true for us in our situation. Give us the wisdom to what it looks like in our life and the courage to do something about it. In your name, amen. Amen. Hey, two more weeks of this series. We'll continue to look at Luke. If you want some homework, you can read through uh, the first few chapters of Luke uh, in, in the birth stuff uh, up until he starts doing his ministry. That'll be kind of where we stay and you'll be more in tune with what we talk about on Sundays. Uh, a couple of business items. Uh, if you want to draw your attention to these inside of your program that you grabbed on the way in is a connect card and a giving envelope. It looks like these two things. On the back side of the connect card is a spot to mark down some next steps. Perhaps a prayer request thing. Perhaps the valley of darkness that you're walking through or the uh, the thing that you're waiting for, your uh, brokenness, uh, your advent uh, is, is something that you can you know process through and, and uh, invite prayer to and whatever. Um, there's a spot for some uh, life updates as well if you want to let us know about that kind of stuff. On the front, it's a spot for some personal information. If you are a regular tender, you know the drill. You just put your name at the top. You're a guest with us. Uh, first off, thanks. I know there's a lot of things. Maybe you're watching this line or whatever. Um, a lot of things competing for your time on a Sunday morning, including football and shopping and all the stuff. So we're honored that you would be here and uh, celebrate it with us. Let us know that you're here, marking the box on the lower left-hand side. This is first or second time guest, or if you're doing it online, there's a box on there too. Uh, we donate money to different organizations doing good things locally and globally. And for the month of December, Union Gospel Mission down in downtown Pasco, they're doing great work. And uh, let us know that you're here so we know how much to donate. Here's a giving envelope at these Lakes Home for you. This is your chance to help us out financially to continue to create a church and environments for people who don't typically like church. We couldn't do this without people who do this, uh, make that commitment to us weekly and monthly and all that good stuff. Um, the only other announcement I have is, uh, as Jake mentioned in the video, three and five o'clock on Christmas Eve, nothing on Christmas Day or New Year's Day. We'll be back on January 8th with the brand new teaching series. That's our holiday schedule. We'd love to have you come out for that. 
And uh, if you can't make the rest of this series, uh, we're gonna go for two more weeks on this. You can download the app or go to eastlakechristcities.com slash talks and catch up on there. All right, would you stand? I'm gonna read a closing benediction for you and then let you out into your happy music back in your car and all of the rest of the joy that is far more exciting than the darkness that I invited you into today. Lord, keep us from trying to distinguish between the deserving and the undeserving poor. Help us work to alleviate suffering and injustice wherever we find it, trusting that the rest is up to you. Amen. Thanks again for listening. If you've got more questions about the church or community group options for connecting with East Lakers outside of Sunday mornings, I'd encourage you to check out our website, eastlaketricities.com, or better yet, download our app by searching East Lake Tri-Cities in your favorite app store.